you know, it doesn't just happen. What I love about Marriott, you can start as a steward and you can become a senior vice president. Nobody has that culture built into the system as well as Marriott does. My job, even though we have more concrete mentorship programs, is to seek out people and to help them and guide them so that they can find themselves in their career. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast, and today I'm very excited to have Christopher Calabrese, the Vice President and General Manager of the JW Marriott Resort and Spa and Marriott Cancun, an all-inclusive resort. Christopher, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. Glad to be with you. Well, Christopher, we always jump in right away on this podcast, and we always start with what was your very first job in hospitality? Well, have we got all day? <laughs> We've got as much time as you need. Okay. Well, how I got started in hospitality was really in my mother's kitchen. And uh, we grew up with a very um, conservative lifestyle. And the kitchen that she had was very small. And I always wanted to be with my mom. And so she was always in the kitchen cooking. And so I wanted to be with her. And I enjoyed cooking as well. So she said to me one day, you know, you enjoy cooking and there's not enough room in this kitchen for the both of us. So how about we get you a job as a cook somewhere? So we went to the local restaurant down the street and she actually accompanied me during my first interview because I was kind of scared and very shy, as you might have already perceived. And so we went to the restaurant together and I was, she told me probably some of the questions the manager would ask me, but don't worry, I'm going to be with you the whole time. And she was. And so the manager didn't ask me anything. And so finally I asked him, aren't you going to ask me any questions? He says, no, because uh, with your mom here, I have her phone number and I know if you do something wrong, I'm going to be able to call her and get things sorted out. So that was the end of my first very short interview. And I started out as a busboy, then a dishwasher in that place on the weekends while I was in high school. And then finally I got to be uh, like a short order cook making sandwiches and things like that. And that's how I kind of got started in the business before I joined Marriott about a year later. That's amazing. So where was this? Where was your first job? Do you remember the name of the place? It was named Three Chefs. 
And I wasn't one of the three. I was just like a little helper, but uh, it was named Three Chefs and it was in Annandale, Virginia. Nice. So you're in Annandale, Virginia. How old were you when you were going in there? You were in high school. So you were 16 years old when you started? 16. And so for a lot of people, it's kind of an eye-opening experience because you're working with adults for the first time. Do you remember that? Was it something that was like a shocking to the system? Very shocking, very scared. I learned how to clean toilets pretty quickly. That was the easy part. And engaging with the the servers who were at that time mostly female. And I kind of had a crush on one of them. So that was a, a good experience for me. And I enjoyed my time in that restaurant, although I was only there probably less than a year. Yeah. But so when you get into the kitchen as a 16, 17 year old, I like to say kitchens are sometimes like pirate ships. You got knives, bad words, fire. Was it like that for you or did you kind of adjust pretty quickly? Because they might uh, haze you when you get in there. They, they, they certainly do a great uh, deal of that. And yeah, it was a bit nerve wracking because that's the nucleus. That's where all the action is. That's where all the food comes from. And when you're busy, you're very busy and the food is flying around crazy. And somebody said, hey, Calabrese, where's that sandwich we ordered? You know, that was supposed to come up with the with the other entrees. And so I was kind of fighting around and to get the the bread sliced and the bread or the slicer went right through my finger. So that was my first uh, visit to the hospital as a work-related illness. And uh, I was trying to wrap it up with a towel and it was bleeding more than the roast beef sandwich that I was preparing. So the manager decided to take me to the hospital and we got it stitched up and then I was And back call your mom and be like, I don't know if Christopher is going to be in the kitchen anymore after this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned you got a job right after that over at the Marriott. So did you kind of really fall in love with it? It's like, wow, I really like being out here and doing this. How did you transition into one of the or the biggest hotel company in the world back then? In those days, you either worked for the Marriott or for the federal government in the Washington, D.C. area. So Marriott was big, uh, even then in Washington in particular. And so my brother had noticed that they were paying more money. That's why I started working at the Hot Shops, which is at Bailey's Crossroads, Virginia, in the Nassif building. Amazing. So you're there. And do you start thinking, all right, this is what I want to do for the rest of my career? Do you end up going to college for this? Or do you start going through and working through Marriott during this whole time? Both. But that wasn't how it really got started. At that same location, I met a gentleman who was the assistant manager. And of course, there were no mentorship programs in those days. You just kind of did it because that's what we were taught to do. So that's why now in my career, I love to select people that I see that have talent and try to mentor them. I don't use any official Marriott mentorship program, and we didn't have anything official then. And he said to me, he says, you know what? You work very hard. I think you could have a future with our company. What do you think? I said, well, you know, I'm in my junior year of high school. I don't know. And after high school, I'm planning to go down to Florida and uh, my best friend and I are going to spend the summer there. So just let's see how it goes. But had no idea I was going to be with Marriott, had no idea I was going to be in this business, just kind of a lost soul, really. So after high school, we went down to Florida, my friend and I, and my mom, that great lady that I was talking about, um, basically told me that, or she, I found out that she called down to Florida to find if there was a hot shops down there. She was worried that I would get into trouble somehow. Smart mom. So smart mom didn't get into any trouble, but she did find out that they had a Marriott in-flight kitchen down there, which did the airline catering for our company at the time. And where in Florida was this that you were going to hang out? In Fort Lauderdale at the Fort Lauderdale, right. Lauderdale airport. Yep. And of course, in those days, this was in the early 70s, you actually prepared meals for economy class and every class. It was very interesting because each airline had 
different standards for their particular airline. You could serve fillets in first class in every single airline, and each one had a different specification and a different space in which we had to prepare the food for that airline. So it was very interesting work. And if we delayed a flight and it was Marriott's fault, that was, you know, a very expensive mistake to make. And it was like $50,000 a minute uh, for every, if we caused the delay. So we never had delays, as you can imagine. That's so cool. So I didn't know any of that. So Marriott's kitchens were making all of the food for the airlines. That's right. I'm still old enough to where I remember having the choice of food on my flights. It wasn't just cookies or peanuts. You're in the kitchen, you start to transition. How does that start to go for you from the airline kitchen? Well, I, I loved it. It was a very exciting business and something that I was only doing for the summer. And then I got a call from that same manager who had since moved to the uh, Tyson's Corner Hot Shops. And he says, I know you're coming back. I know you're going to start college. You know, is there any way you can work part time? And my family didn't have a lot of money. So you worked and you went to school. That's what you did. And so I'd work after school. And then he kept giving me more and more responsibility. And he says, listen, Halloween's coming up and I'd like to go with my kids. Would you like to lock up the hot shops at the end of the night? And it, this was like the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. So I actually got the keys. And in those, day, those days, they were real metal keys. Right, like clanking and, around. Um, there were about 100 of them on this little belt hook, you know, with the little spring-mounted uh, uh, load mechanism. So you could pull them out and, and then and release them and it goes back on the belt again. And so I got to lock the hot shops for the first time um, in October 31st in 1972 or three, perhaps. And so what were you doing at that time that you're locking up? Are you uh, on the manager side now? Are you in the kitchen locking up? No, I'm still, I'm, now I'm a professional cook. Professional cook with the keys on your hip. With the keys on my hip, getting my first chance to lock up the store. So I'm sure uh, I was super happy. And then the cooks went and then he'd move me out to the line because this was a cafeteria style restaurant. So you had to be on that line when we were open for business and you go out there and you watch the other staff and you make sure the line has no gaps in it. Because if there's a gap and Bill Marriott comes in there and sees that, that there's a gap in that line, you know, that means that there's an opportunity for people at the end of the line to not want to be patient and perhaps leave. So the, the trick of that concept is to keep the line moving quickly so we don't lose people at the end of the line. I got it. So you mentioned something interesting, right? You mentioned Bill Marriott kind of walking through there. And I know that he hangs out or they used to hang out a lot in Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if that's the case now. He does. Yes. He goes to the Harbor Beach that he's always gone to for three weeks every year. And then he goes to Camelback for three weeks every year. Of course, he's retired now, but uh, he's still enjoying uh, those products. For yeah. Eight. So my family was just in Harbor Beach this weekend. They were enjoying okay. it very much. But so you mentioned that. How was that when you have the, the person whose name is on tell and you're at that age and that kind of responsibility is the pressure on because i know sometimes when you have the owners in house for people who are listening it can get very intense but when the owner is always around what was that like for you we had uh i hope this i hope he never sees this but uh <laughs> if he does it's okay we had yellow alert which was bill marriott is coming they usually came in through the loading dock they were always surprise visits because they wanted to see how the restaurant especially the back of the house is going to look because bill marriott and jw marriott senior i'm one of the few uh, existing Marriott employees that actually knew JW Marriott Sr. So he would come in also through the loading dock and then that would be red alert. And we knew everything better be spotless by the time he gets from the loading dock up to the to the main kitchen there. And it always was. 
but that was pretty intense. And Bill Marriott also was pretty intense. Bill, Bill would come in every Friday night, you know, bringing the kids in at that time. And J.W. Marriott Sr., we'd see him about once a month coming through any one of the restaurants that I worked in in that era. That's great. That gives you really that pressure of what it takes to run a top-level hotel. So you got to have that at that age. And so I'm curious now, because we could talk about your career. Like you said, when we were backstage, we may need an intermission here. But I want to start to go to where you start to transition into kind of this, your first manager role, your first leadership role. So how do you get from working the line, being the cook with the keys on your on your hip to get into where you start transitioning into being a leader the first time? After I finished school, then I went back and then I became a supervisor. And then from there, you moved a lot. And in those days, there was a lot of pressure to move. Of course, the moves are to your benefit, um, but you kind of don't have much of a personal life. I moved uh, probably six or seven times when I was with Hot Chops and I was only with them for five years. So where were you going? Was it good cities? Because I know sometimes they send you to cities you don't want to go to. Well, I went to Richmond, Virginia. Um, some of the cities were good. Some of them were I would say, I would like to say more challenging to live in. Um, Richmond, Virginia, the store was on 7th and Grace, which is downtown. And in that particular restaurant, it was built in 1939. And so it was on three floors. And we actually had four bathrooms in there for the employees. And I'm like, well, what's this all about? And we, in those days, there were segregated, segregated bathrooms. Oh, wow. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do was... Um, test the waters with the powers to be at corporate headquarters to see if we could integrate those bathrooms. And we finally did. It was a bit of a hardship, but it was the right thing to do. This is the early 70s. And, you know, a lot of it was just let's leave it alone. But um, I didn't think that was right. And my manager supported me and the corporate folks supported me. So we integrated the bathrooms. And that was a big accomplishment, I felt, um, at a very young age. That's huge. How old were you when you were doing this? Young 20s? 23. And I'm sure you had some people that weren't happy. People were time. raising their eyebrows. Yes, that's true. But we got it done and and it was the right thing to do. And it stayed that way until that restaurant closed many years later. That's amazing. That's amazing because we see a lot of things happening these days that we look back and say, man, we should have solved these things back in the when you were doing these in the 70s. It's, it's crazy to see. We'll get back on here. So you're doing it. You're growing. You're moving city to city, growing with the brand. Where do you start getting into that first role where you're managing a full team? Let's see. Uh, I went to Baltimore Golden Cir- Golden Ring Mall, Golden Ring Mall, and that was my first sort of general manager of, of the restaurant type of thing. And I was kind of proud because I was the youngest general manager ever of a restaurant. I think I was 24, maybe 24 and a half. So it was a lot of responsibility. Most of the people working there were probably twice my age. So that, as you know, brings a lot of challenges. I grew a mustache thinking that would make me look a little older. And then when I got old, I shaved it off to make me look a little younger. But it was a good time. It was a great experience. And I, I loved it. And I was moving, like I said, every eight months or a year, which made it very hard for, from a personal life perspective. Yes. It's hard to have a relationship when you're there for eight months or a year. But, you know, my career was very important to me at that time. And that's that's what I chose to do. So when you're moving around like this, was your mom still around during that time? She was around. In fact, she passed away, I think it was 96. So she was around a good portion of my my career and was always my my soulmate and, you know, my friend and uh, one who helped me guide and, and make decisions. My dad's uh, philosophy was always work hard and you'll get ahead. And my mom was, yeah, you, but you need to blow your own horn sometimes too. So her philosophy was work hard and let people know what you're doing. And the combination of both, I think, helped me grow. 
I think that's great. That's great advice. A lot of people don't like kind of cheerlead for themselves because they think it's bragging, but I'm sure there's a exactly. way that you found to do it. Were you telling people that you wanted to grow? Hey, I'm ready to go anywhere and raise your hand. Or was it like, oh, we like Christopher. Let's just send him because he never says no. In those days, they pick you. So they pick you. And then later on in, um, in Marriott, they started this posting thing. So you would have to post for a job and then they would execute and select the best candidate in their minds. But in those days, they would tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, would you go here? And you never said no, because if you say no, well, you know, that could jeopardize your career growth and things like that. So you really wanted to go and uh, make these moves, even though sometimes it was taxing on the personal side. Could you put in what you wanted to go to? Like, all right, I see this one. And maybe talk to one of your mentors and say, look, I really like this city. Can you help me get there? Or was it still, hey, we're going to send you where we send you? Later on, when we talk about when, once I got into the hotel division, I tried that once, but to no avail. It's It was still the same kind of philosophy. At that point, I was five years with um, Hot Shops and then I noticed that they were sort of starting to sell them off. And my next level up would have been a district manager. And it's hard to have a district if they're eliminating districts and consolidating. So the vice president of the division at the time told me that they were regrouping and would start expanding again. But at that time, my boss, who was a district manager, left to go to work for Marriott Management Services. And in Marriott Management Services, we manage areas of food and beverage for hospitals, for universities, for office buildings and other uh, businesses that aren't interested in managing food and beverage. They want to run their business. So Marriott does it for them. And later on, it was sold to Sodexo. So you know that. So I used to be part of it. So you'd go into a place, you really wouldn't see the name Marriott, but I worked in that division for an additional five years before joining the hotel division. All within the kitchens. No, that was more in management. I was I I left uh, that general manager position with Hot Shops, my last one. Uh, to become a what they call a complex manager and at the Smithsonian History and Technology Building. So I managed that massive uh, collection of restaurants and cafeterias there uh, for about a year and a half. So what was that like back then? Because that's very different. I was just reading a book, I'm reading it now, where Danny Mayer was in like the museums and kind of elevating all of the food that was in there. Was that something you were able to do back then? Or was it more like, hey, let's just get some quality food quickly out in all these museums? Well, the the, caf- the cafeteria was a technology accomplishment in and of itself because we used to on I was there during the bicentennial and we moved 40,000 people through that cafeteria in one day. That's crazy. Um, it, it, was, it was crazy. But the cafeteria was designed very atypical. It was a gigantic wheel. And instead of pushing your tray along a straight line, it was a giant wheel and it would have all the food and the food would move around on a carousel and you would choose your plates and put it on your tray, then you would go to one of our 13 cashiers to ring out. So that helped the productivity of that particular style of cafeteria. So that was pretty an amazing thing in those days. That is very cool. All right, so you're doing these things. You talk about, you start to transition into the hotel side. So you're with the man, the management service, which is interesting. I didn't know the history of that. So it's, thank yeah. you for sharing. How do you start your journey into the hotel side of the world? That was kind of easy because my new boss said, I need you to come up to Chicago because it was another Marriott Management Services operation. And I said, well, where is it? And he said, it's going to be in Round Lake, Illinois. And I was too embarrassed to tell him that I didn't know where that was. And so, (laughs) do you know where it is? I don't know where it is. It's like six miles from the Wisconsin border. And I was to run the cafeteria for a Baxter Travanol plant where they made plastics for the uh, kidney dialysis machine. 
So I went into that cafeteria and managed it for a while. Then I moved to my boss movie to Baxter Travenol headquarters, which is in Deerfield, Illinois. And then from there, I went to the Chrysler Financial Building and American Motors World Headquarters in Detroit. Then he moved me back to the Art Institute of Chicago to be the general manager there, which was a very sizable food and beverage operation. A lot of um, museum shows and art shows, and we had to do all the food and beverage for that. So it was very exciting. And then one day he says, I'm leaving. I'm joining the hotel division. And I said, well, don't forget about me. And he didn't. And so after he worked in Chicago downtown for a while, he was director of restaurants and bars. And then I took his job, actually. He became food and beverage director at the Keybridge Marriott in Washington, D.C., and I took over his job. And that's where I started in the hotel division in 1980. So what was that like? Because that's very different than running cafeterias and managed food service. Now you're in a hotel. You've got guests that are there overnight. You've got different structure, different kind of politics. How did you kind of start? You feel like, all right, this is what I like doing. I was like, I miss what I was doing before. It it wasn't easy. I'll be very honest with you because you, you enter a hotel at a department head level where I was running my own show before. So in MMS and Hot Shops, as a general manager, you're the human resources director, you're the engineer, you do everything. I need a light bulb change, I go change it. Now I have an engineering department who may or may not find that very interesting to do at that particular time. So things kind of drag along where you used to be able to do it. I would handle all the payroll. You did everything uh, yourself. And there you've got all these departments. And now I'm reporting up to, I didn't have the ability to hire and fire Yep. people because that was done by the human resources department and I didn't have one of those before. So it was a bit challenging getting used to it. And then the hotel terminology, I mean, people were talking about room blocks and finally I had to say the stupid question, what is a room block? I don't know what this is. I come from restaurants, you know? So my team tells me whatever, what are you stupid? Yes, I'm stupid. Tell me what a room block is. So I, I finally got that and I learned more about the hotel business than about the food and beverage business. But what I brought to the food and beverage business at a hotel was that we can do a lot of things ourselves. And so we took it to a brand new level that they had not seen because they're very, what I learned about hotels is people and the employees are very specialized in their particular area, but they don't have a lot of broad understanding of the different areas because they didn't, they weren't responsible for running those. So I learned a lot more coming in from that angle, even though I had a lot to learn. Yeah, it seems like you were just a go-getter. I can just tell by talking to you. You're like, I got this. I'll figure it out. Like almost like entrepreneurial within a company. You're doing very well because you're continuing to move along. And I want to now mm-hmm. kind of jump into, we're going to fast forward to when you become okay. an executive for the first time. Okay. So when do you get your first executive role? What position is that? When you well, that was next. That was, I became director of food and beverage. Another one of those places they said, well, that was when I said, hey, uh, could I go to, I think it was Nashville or it was a resort or something like that. I think I'd be very suited for that. And they didn't kind of like my answer because you've grown up in one hotel. It's a convention hotel. And we think that that's where you belong. I said, okay, whatever. Where do I go? They said, well, we have an opportunity for you in a place called Monroeville, Pennsylvania. And once again, you know, I, I think I need to go back to school and study geography because I had no idea where that place was. And I was afraid to ask. But, you know, you just move. You get a U-Haul. You take your trailer there. You look on the AAA map. And you find Monroeville, Pennsylvania, and you hope you find the right place that somebody's waiting for you to, to get you to to get you oriented to that particular property. So it's about ten miles outside of Pittsburgh. So you get there, and becoming an executive for people listening, 
they think, oh, I made it. This is the place I'm going to be because I thought that as I was coming up. Yeah. And then you get there and then you're responsible for even more things in multiple departments. And you know, maybe you hadn't done banquets all that much in your last place. Right. What was it like for you when you get to that position as an executive and get to help make decisions that steer a hotel but without having experience before? It was awesome. To be honest with you, I loved it. I loved my general manager. I, I was kind of saying, what did I do wrong to get assigned to this particular place? And then about a year later, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people of Pittsburgh. For the first time in my life, I lived like three minutes from my job instead of an hour and a half like in Chicago. So I didn't want to leave. But, it, but back to your original question, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I loved it. I loved that I could create. I loved that I was in an environment that I had a general manager who allowed me to create. And we did some great things. And then I didn't want to leave. And he came up to me one day and he says, they want you in Boston for a much bigger job. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to go. I'm happy here. You know, hey, you know, this was a great starting point. But as your friend and your boss, you need to keep moving. So I moved to Boston Long Wharf which was our busiest 400 room uh, hotel at the time in food and beverage and a hotel. We opened up first year of operation, 95% occupancy for the year. It's rocking all the time. It was rocking all the time and, and very intense because uh, don't forget when, when uh, JW Marriott was getting older, he would go to Mass General Hospital. And so that was their hotel of choice when he'd go there. So there was always a lot of pressure when, when he was in town. So you're there, you're in this big city now, you're in a, yep. they're, one of their top hotels pumping revenue. Yes. How did you start to now transition into your first kind of like hotel or general manager role? Where does that start to come? Because some people love being F&B directors and I'm going to be a career F&B director. I had a lot of fun doing it. When do you start to transition and say, all right, they want me, they're calling me up? Well, several positions away from where I was then. But I'm exactly what you said. I loved and I still do. I'll never get food and beverage out of my heart and soul. I love it. I love the ability to create new concepts and things like that. So I went from there very quickly. I went from there to Boston Copley. At that time, Boston Copley was one of our largest hotels at 1,200 rooms. Successfully ran that food and beverage department. And then I thought I was ready for a regional uh, food and beverage job um, where we had nine of those positions in the company. And then the big boss said, no, we really need you in Atlanta. We've got a lot of problems at the marquee in Atlanta. And so, and not everybody can do that. Okay, so I'm being penalized uh, to have to go to this job, which instead of being a regional, we'll get you there. I need you to do this for me. So at that time, the marquee in Atlanta, well, it still has 1,700 rooms. And we did about $45 million in food and beverage. And this is late 1980s. So it was a great assignment. Loved it. Loved Atlanta. And then finally, they called me up to become a regional director of operations. I did that for five years back in Washington, where I'm from. And then after that, uh, I wanted to see the world. I wanted to see other cultures. I wanted to go international and I wanted to become a general manager. And so, you know, like everything else in life, the first job you get internationally is probably not the one you want. But and first GM's job is probably not the one you want. So I ended up in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, which was a wow. bit of a tough tough assignment for a single guy. But my only comment back to my boss is just don't forget me. I'll do this. I'll prove myself. And then from there, I think I'd like to go somewhere else later on. And so that's what happened. That's a big jump. So you're a big timer in the food and beverage world in Marriott. You've got a, a great gig and then you get shipped out to the deserts. Exactly. Right. And it wasn't what it is today. It was no, uh, it's not, definitely not. 
right? Maybe on, you would say up and coming at that time. What year was this? In the 90s? It was up and coming and it was right after the Gulf War. We still had those, you know, land-based uh, missile things right on our property and it was a bit scary. And then the culture uh, at that time is much different than it is today. I had an all-male staff of 400. My assistant was a male. I never had one of those before. Uh, females at that time were not allowed to work. After I left, there was one female associate who worked in our AYS area, which is our at-your-service or the telephone operators, but they had to build a special office and put you know, uh, dark film on it so she could work and take off her abaya during the working hours. But when I was there, I didn't have it. Women weren't allowed to drive. There were a lot of things that are changing in a good way now, and that's wonderful. Uh, but during those times, so for my entertainment, I would play uh, softball with the uh, Marines at the American Embassy. They had some some softball leagues, and I got on one of those as, as one of the old guys. Wow. So how quickly were you calling to say, I'm ready to, to make a move once you're there? Well, I, I, I really got a little depressed, frankly, because you literally, in, in those days, you couldn't do anything. You know, you're not allowed to date. You can't drink. You can't do anything that you're used to doing as a Westerner. So it was very difficult for me. And about and, and, and if you're there with your family, at least you have a family. But I was there as a single By person, yourself? just myself, and it was very tough. And so about two and a half years later, uh, rumor was out there that I might be going to Budapest. And that was a good assignment. I would have loved to have done that. And at the last minute, that didn't happen. And my boss called me and said, we need you in Heliopolis, uh, which was a 600-room Sheridan that had gotten burnt. And so Marriott was going to take over that property. And we need you there. Why? Because of my food and beverage background. And that hotel had 20 restaurants and bars. And that's why he wanted me there, but I told him, you know, this was a one-stop gig and that I want kind of out, of out of the Middle East. And so that didn't happen. So I got a call up from the EVP in, in, in Cala, Caribbean and Latin America. And he says, we got an opening in Puerto Vallarta. Would you be interested in coming? I said, well, I don't speak Spanish. And he goes, well, you know, you didn't speak Arabic either and, and you'll need to learn it. You'll, you'll do it. And so I went to Puerto Vallarta after Riyadh. Wow. You know, that's an intense journey to spend that much time in a place because it's a different world. And then you get to Puerto Vallarta, which to me, you know, I'm from Miami, Miami Beach. So to me, it sounds like a paradise once you're it getting was there. Was it, did it feel like that when you got there? I like that. And I've been drinking tequila ever since. <laughs> well, so, so you get there. You're the general manager of a beautiful hotel there. You didn't leave Mexico after that, right? No. You've been there the whole time. What got it in your mind that this is the place for me to stay in this area? Well, a couple things. One, I was tired of moving. I've moved 26 times with Marriott. Yeah. I think that's enough. People go, oh, you're in Cancun. Well, it's paradise. You know, wow, you're, you're so lucky. I paid my dues along the way, I think. So yeah. I made the one last move from Puerto Vallarta. I was there two years. I loved Vallarta at the time. It was an amazing place. You know, very, very Mexico-ish, uh, where Cancun is more of metropolitan. You know, lots of things happening here and lots of growth. Uh, but that was the key. They were building the JW Marriott and they said you would be in charge of both hotels. And so they kind of twisted my arm, but not too hard. And that's why I made the move to Cancun. And I've been here ever since. That's amazing. So what's it like being the gringo when you're there and everyone else is maybe from Mexico and you have to learn that culture because you know, I got that too, but I'm in Miami, Miami Beach. I'm still in the United States. What was it like for you in Mexico having that? They're the most welcoming people I've ever met in my life. I mean, if, you, if you're in the States and, and you see a Mexican struggling with the language, I mean, a lot of people aren't very friendly about that. 
when I got to Mexico, believe me, it wasn't easy. And, you know, learning a language as an adult where your only language is English was very difficult. And I found people very forgiving of that and understanding and helpful. And the culture is amazing. The service levels that my team and all Mexicans deliver are amazing. They're a very service oriented culture. And that's very exciting. And that's one of the reasons I love it here. I always felt when I when people ask me, what should I if I'm moving for a general manager's job, other than the job itself, what should I look for? And my, my comment is always the culture of the and the work behavior of the population that's servicing those guests, because, you know, some of the islands are a little bit tougher uh, to be in. But here people really want to work. They, they enjoy servicing. And so it, that part is very, very easy. And it was a very easy transition. And that's one of the things I love about being in Mexico. So what advice would you give somebody, general manager? All right, we're going to a new culture. How do they kind of ingratiate themselves with that culture? Is there a certain way that you did it that you were cognizant of? Or was it something that you were just good at doing naturally? Very cognizant of it. Um, I used to see uh, the negative side of that. Sometimes we'd bring a lot of Americans here. They'd come with their families. And instead of um, adjusting and uh, appreciating and understanding and wanting to be part of the culture, they tried to change the culture to be what they're used to in the States. So I can't believe the infrastructure here, there's potholes every, everywhere, it's not like the States, okay? It's not the States, as an example. In Saudi Arabia, you go over there, if you, if you, if you make comments like that, you're not gonna be there very long because you're gonna get deported. So that was an easy one, you either go with the flow or not. But that's what I've tried to do anytime I move. And even in the United States, every city is different, every culture of those particular cities. Yeah are different and you got to learn how that culture is and you try to fit in instead of trying to change it. And that's the advice I would give to any of the listeners from what I learned. That's great advice because there are so many people that travel to different things, different places, and they have something in their mind and it's not like that. And you said, I've talked to a lot of people who get down and they're like, yeah. shouldn't I made this move and they stick it out or, or make a move down. So as you're there in Mexico, you get to build your team, you know, over this amount of time, cause I'm sure mm -hmm. you took over a certain amount. Yep. How has that changed for you? Cause like I said, there's not many people that are old school like you, I would say, right? I hey, don't mean that in a down way. Like you have been no. with this company for a long time and you've been in Mexico for a long time. How do you start shaping the culture that is, you know, Mr. Calabresa's culture? What is that like when you start to actually make a difference down there? I don't want to look in front of the screen because I'm probably thinking that these two people are smiling right now as you say that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, I'm, and for I, listeners, I, we have, so I think, what do we have? PR and marketing exactly. watching us have this conversation. Exactly. So, so there is some trouble. No, I won't. So there, of course, there's the Marriott culture. And I know this very well. And in fact, you know, I'm proud to say the brand, the JW brand in particular, because they try to incorporate the founders um, kind of history. And to have somebody that actually has experienced the founder's uh, history and can talk about that helped very well to, to shape some of the things that we do within the brand. So that was very nice for me to be able to get. But yes, there's, there's no doubt there's a Marriott culture, which I know very well. And there's a Calabrese culture. There's no doubt everybody, you know, part of, part of being a leader is exuding your personality and developing your people around that. And, you know, I have things that are hot buttons. In fact, what I do for new executives I actually found that as I was growing up in the business, I never knew what my new boss wanted from me because it's a guessing game. And then sooner or later you figure out he doesn't want this, she doesn't want that, whatever it might be. So I thought to myself, I would build like a PowerPoint presentation that says, this is Chris Calabrese. This, these are all my hot buttons. This is what I like. I like a sense of urgency. You know, I don't wanna have to ask for things twice. If I send you an email, I wanna respond quickly, whatever. All those little bullet, if you follow this, 
we're never going to have an issue. And I felt if somebody had done that with me, that would have been great. Then I know what my boss is looking for. And so I kind of use that tool moving forward. It may be hokey for some. I don't know how they feel about it. But um, that's what I try to create. So people at least know who I am and they don't have to learn the hard way. I think we've done almost 200 of these. And this is the first time I've heard someone say that. And I think it's a genius move because I've worked with a lot of general managers. And I wish I would have got one of those of those coming up because then I would know. All right. This is what we got to do. This is what's going to be yellow alert for Christopher. This is what's going to be red alert. And I know what I need to take care of. I like that. I'm going to have to steal that from you as we uh, steal whatever you want. I appreciate that. So you're there. You're building your culture. I love how you're setting it up that way. But I want to talk about what you have going on now. So you are part of something pretty special going on in Mexico. Can you break it down for us what you're leading right now? Because it's something very unique as well. Well, of course, as you mentioned earlier on, we have this new Marriott, the very, very first Marriott managed because we have a lot of franchisees uh, and they do a great job as well. And we have a lot of autograph collection, all inclusive because Marriott really wanted to get into this all inclusive business. But this is everybody's baby. This is the absolute first Marriott managed all inclusive property. It's a conversion. The only thing that's original is the shell of the hotel rooms, but everything from hotel rooms to the to the Lazy River, to the water park, to the nine restaurants that we're incorporating in there. It's going to be one of the very few 450 room properties that has nine restaurants. So, I mean, it is going to be amazing. Of course, with that goes a lot of pressure on on myself and my team, but we know we're going to have a great product once it finally gets done and, and we're nearing completion as we speak. So we're all very excited to be part of this team and to be part of the first. That's amazing. And so listeners, if you're not driving, Pause this, go on the website and take a look. So I was looking at some of the pictures and what it's going to look like. It looks amazing. And so when are you scheduled to open? When can people start to make reservations and get excited about staying with you? 22nd of March is our official opening date on Marriott.com. So come on down, have a look. We know you're going to have a wonderful time and and it's great. It's also a small footprint. So a lot of these uh, large all-inclusive properties you, you may tend to get lost in. And here it's very, very easy to maneuver, very easy to get around. And that's that's one of our best selling points. And we do a great job for group as well. That's one of our specialty things. Glossy and I have been on the road the last 18 months getting the word out, selling this hotel so that people know that we're going to be doing a great job for them. Our old contacts have been saying we've been waiting so long for Marriott to get a Marriott all-inclusive property. And now it's finally coming to fruition. That's amazing. And I'm looking at the pictures here. I'll share, make sure we share it in the social media posts that we've got here. And we'll, we'll run a little article about it for you. But it looks fantastic. And so you have all these things going on. And I know secretly, as food and beverage people, we have our favorite restaurant when we're building something out. Do you have one at this property that you're excited to see open personally? Oh my gosh. Steve, don't ask me to do this. <laughs> My team's going to kill me. I have favorite restaurants in both hotels. In fact, one of my favorites is in the JW. This doesn't relate to your question, but they were going to convert Sassy Thai, which is our Thai restaurant that was in the Marriott, to a Mexican restaurant. And this Sassy Thai restaurant was built in April of 2008 and has been one of our most successful concepts, and we were about to lose it. So my engineer and I decided we're not going to lose it. We're going to rebuild it at the JW. And that's what we did. So that was my favorite. So over there then, now I need to talk about the signature restaurant really at the Marriott, which is called Moe's. And Moe's features a Mighty Mo hamburger that I remember preparing back in the hot shops days. 
you know, That's and awesome. nobody, yeah. And nobody knows what the sandwich is supposed to look like or taste like other than through the use records and recipe cards. But I know I knew when it was right. We did our taste panels and it is an amazing sandwich. It's second to none. And that's kind of the highlight of that particular restaurant. It's more like a diner. So we'll have that running probably from 11 a.m. in the morning till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, something like that. We'll work that out once we fully open. But that's kind of the highlight of the complex. We are also having Ono, which is our Japanese uh, steakhouse with teppanyaki. Everybody loves that. And the Sassy Thai restaurant will be converted to Casa Madre, which is going to be our Mexican, where we'll be making fresh tortillas in the middle of the restaurant. It's going to have a bar with looking at the sunset. And Press Plus Start, which is our multi-use entertainment center. So it's going to have games for teenagers if they want to play during the day. And then at nighttime, we convert it either to a karaoke bar or a dance bar or whatever it's going to be so that people have a place to go after dinner. And then finally, Hannah is an amazing Polynesian restaurant that we had built just before the conversion. And, you know, we recognize that you go to Hawaii, everybody goes to a Polynesian restaurant. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So Americans love Polynesian food. And this thing was a super hit before we shut the hotel down for renovation. But we're keeping that restaurant. It's going to be our three meal uh, with the buffets. But we're also going to have an a la carte menu featuring that Polynesian restaurant that was so uh, famous and popular. I love that you're bringing some of the history. That you're not just erasing it and that you're bringing it back. So over my shoulder here, if you're watching this, I've got menus behind me from like the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, just because I'm a hotel nerd like that and from all these cool places. So I love that you're bringing that burger back. You got to send me a picture. So behind the we'll camera, I know Melissa and Lindsay, send me a picture. I'd love to, to talk about that too. We'll do better than that. We'll invite you down for one. That's what we got to do then. I got to get myself down there. My wife and kids, I'm sure, will love it. And look, we love coming down there. And now I got to place this day with you. You betcha. And now that I know, you got to send me your hot points. We'll make sure. We, we managed to that. So what I love talking to you about is you have this unique journey. You've been through so many different cities, so many different restaurants, different countries. But if you were talking to young Christopher today, 16 years old, walking into one of your restaurants before he cut his finger, what <laughs> advice are you giving him uh, when he's starting out with you today? Same thing I give to, to people who are coming up in the business. You know, it doesn't just happen. What I love about Marriott you can start as a steward and you can become a senior vice president. Nobody has that culture built into the system as well as Marriott does. And as I said, my job, I feel, even though we have more concrete mentorship programs, is to seek out people and to help them and guide them so that they can find themselves in their career. So I'm talking to people a lot. I mean, there was a hostess in one of our restaurants here that didn't speak English very well. And I said, you know, you, we're looking for servers in that sassy Thai restaurant. And first she's looking at my name tag because she really didn't know who I was very well. And I'd go back to her, what did, did you think about that? Did you think about that? And she says, well, I don't speak English very well. I said, don't worry about it. We're going to make sure you're taken care of. You'll have like one table to start with two people at it. And there's a supervisor, something you don't understand or, or a customer who's not very happy. The supervisor can try it. It'll be a good, great opportunity for you. And in that restaurant, we're looking for, you know, only female service, which we're hard to find. So come on, let's try it. Six months later, she's finally going to practice in the restaurant. And then she becomes a server. And our vice president of operations came to town. I was having drinks with her, tequila, of course. And this server was our server in Sassy Thai restaurant when it was at the Marriott. And 
Maria Camacho, who's that vice president, asked the server to, well, tell me about your story. She says, Mr. Calabrese came and changed my life. That's what she told her. So, I mean, these are these are special moments. And that that's what gives me a lot of gratitude to be able to mentor people and pick out people who have talent. And that's what all of us should be doing all the time. And that's what I learned growing up. And that's what I try to do right from that very manager who said, hey, Chris, you might have a future. I've just got chills as you're talking about it because you are still walking the floor looking for you know, a person that's line level saying, you know what, you got something special in you. I'm going to help you get there. Don't worry. You know, people will be so lucky to work with someone like you. I can see it. And I hope people listening to this take that. And as you're listening to this today, walk that floor, see if you can find somebody to help out because you never know. You might change their life just like Christopher did. Man, so good. I love it. Well, Christopher, I appreciate you spending the time with us today. I'm excited for you and opening this place in just a couple of more weeks. I know how hard it is opening a place, but is there anything else you want to share with the audience? Anything they should take a look at? What would you like to leave them with? I'd like to leave them with the message to come on down. We're only 15 minutes from the airport. That's a, that's a quick journey uh, to a great and spectacular destination of Cancun. And of course our JW Marriott Cancun resort and spa for the luxury experience and our new Marriott and all-inclusive resort we welcome families, we welcome groups, whatever you have. We'd love to have you down and give us a try. All right, listeners, make sure to check out the notes here. We'll have all the information for you so you can connect at this beautiful hotel with Christopher and his team. Make sure to try out all the restaurants. And as always, we will see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.